Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, the podcast that introduces you to some of Canada's lesser-known authors and writers who have either yet to begin or have just begun to make their mark on the writing world. In this season, our third, we will focus solely on Canadian poets and their poetry. Some of my guests have already been published, either self or traditionally, while others have yet to take that plunge. I think it is not only important to give each and every one of them an equal opportunity to be discovered, but to be heard as well. I'm your host, Randy Lacey, and I invite you to join me between the lines. Hello and welcome to Between the Lines. On today's show, I will be speaking with Nancy Bell, author of Touchstone. Hello, Nancy, and welcome to Between the Lines. Hey, Randy, thank you for having me on. Well, we just began, so it's not over yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get into uh, the nitty gritty of the interview, I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners a brief um, rundown on on who Nancy Bell is and what makes Nancy, well, Nancy. Ah, well, I am a, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a horsewoman. Um, horses have always been a huge part of my life. I still have um, one horse right now. Um, I lost my mare of 22 years Last August, uh, she contacted Potomac horse fever, which was really um, kind of devastating because she was a very young 22. She had an easy life, that girl. Uh, I write uh, poetry, obviously. I have two books, actually. One's Through This Door and one is Touchstone. And the horse on the front of Touchstone is actually my first horse. And his name was Brandy. I got him when I was 17. And he's probably the only reason I made it out of being a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> we all have something. Yeah. Yes, we do. And uh, I also uh, work with Animal Rescue, with Alberta Animal Rescue Crew. I'm a, a foster mom for cats. I used to do dogs, but puppies are just too crazy. So that's kind of, yeah, I'm sort of a big mixed bag of stuff. I also write uh, novels. I'm published by a local uh, Alberta publisher. I have, um, I think, 20 novels currently, and they're available, you know, wherever you buy your books, basically. Available where all fine books are sold. Yeah, there you go. So that's kind of kind of me in a nutshell. Wonderful. I've got a few friends who uh, are involved with horses in some degree of, or another. When I first moved to Alberta, an old, older friend of mine that I was able to connect with in the Linden area, I think she now is somewhere near Airdrie, but mm-hmm. she had a, a horse farm and she bred horses. And she named one of, uh, I don't know, ponies. Are they called ponies? I guess. Or well, if they, they're under, if they're under 13, two, they're a pony. Okay. Well, a brand new horse, a baby, a foal. Yes. Okay. There you go. Um, named it after me. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's a horse out there named Lacey. Uh, whether well, do go. people normally change horse names? Uh, usually if it's a registered horse, you would have a registered name and then a stable name. Oh, okay. So don't the horses why? get confused? No, they don't care. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about horses. No, it's your tone of voice. It's same as dogs or cats or anything. It's your tone of voice and your body language that they read more than what you actually say. Okay. And some humans. 
Yes, and some humans. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for that little intro. Uh, normally at this point or at this junction, I would jump right into question period. And, uh, but because we're focused on Canadian poets and their poetry, this would be as good a time as any to jump right in. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind reading a poem for us right away. Sure. This is actually fairly short. I don't write long, massive poems, but uh, it's called Solstice. And it's, it was actually inspired. There's a line of uh, poplar trees that are on one of the roads that I drive by to get home. And uh, this was kind of what prompted this. Solstice. A whisper of white in the wintry wood. Silver sifting softly, shimmering snow shifting, moonlight magnifying the memory of trees in the shadows, the bitter breath of the frigid frost borne on the cutting crystal breeze, moon-woken diamonds glitter in the riddling rhyme of branches stretched against the pearl-black night, teetering on the tip of beauty, the winter solstice slides down this long night to embrace the light. Hmm. Reminds me, uh, the, of course, there's imagery there, and, and I was able to put myself in in, uh, in your words. Between Troshu and you know, one of the many places that I went up north, mm-hmm. um, I, I always used to stop and take pictures and stuff like that. And it was winter, you know, that frosty, glimmery kind of snow. Yep. Um, <clears throat> we were driving, and uh came across a driveway with rows of trees on either side and it went back off the highway and it was just a beautiful image uh you know the trees were covered with white and so that's what that reminded me of but anyway thank you for that and uh, what was so that was inspired off of a, a road near you yeah <laughs> i drive up it every day <laughs> okay well i can certainly relate to that uh um yes i, I used to be able to drive but uh, unfortunately they frown on visually mm-hmm. impaired drivers in alberta I don't understand why. Well, I don't know. Have you seen the way some of them drive? <laughs> I have, actually. <laughs> well, for, for those listening, and thank you for listening, by the way, uh, in Alberta, a person is only required to have 2050 vision in one eye to legally drive. Did you know that? No. <laughs> okay, so if I remove my glasses, I'm legally blind, which is 20 over 200. I put the glasses on. I joke around that it says it basically I put these on and it magnifies what I can't see. But <laughs> in truth, uh, it brings my vision down to 20 over 75, which means I'm only like 25 points off of driving legally. And that scares me because <laughs> I wouldn't want to drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that poem, <laughs> sharing that poem. Now we'll go right into part one, which I call question period, and ask you a question, because what would a question period be without questions? (laughs) Number one, how old were you when you wrote your first poem? Oh, my goodness. I have been writing poetry. I was really young. I was in public school. And I'm not saying they were good poems, because I still have them, and they were not. You still have them. Oh, I, yes, I do. I have, I have like my composition books from grade two, well, probably grade three and up. And I was writing short stories back then and a lot of poetry, actually. Um, I started writing poetry before I ever 
even contemplated writing like a book. So words just, just come. And, and for me, it's not, um, it's more about capturing kind of the essence of a scene or a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a girlfriend who writes very long poems and good poetry, but long poems. And, but she's always in them. What do you mean my she's dog, always in them? Well, she'll write like my dog and I in the woods and they, they experience whatever they experience. She's a very um, spiritual person. But it's always, she's always in, it's my dog and I, or I, and, and I very rarely write that kind of poetry. It's more just me outside observing. And maybe that's because I'm an introvert. I don't know. <laughs> that's funny. An introvert who is <laughs> writing about outside. Okay. Yeah. Well, but I'm not, but I'm not the main focus, right? Right. Okay. So you were very, very young when you wrote your first poem. What inspired you to start writing so young? Or is this something that you did or? Did somebody introduce you to poetry or? Not really. No, I, words just came to me. I know maybe it's a past life thing if you believe in that stuff. Um, I, I obviously do, but uh, I had uh, a lady called uh, Ghislaine Douglas and she uh, was a newspaper reporter way back in, you know, the forties and fifties. And then she moved to British Columbia and lived on Cortez Island. And she wrote many, many tomes of poetry and she wrote for the Victoria um, newspaper. She wrote like a naturalist column. And so she was a a friend of my grandmother's. And so she mentored me when I, when I was very young Ah. and we, we maintained a relationship up until she, um, she passed away. Interestingly enough, she passed away on Halloween, which is, is one of the the pagan portal days. So it was kind of fitting. That was the day she picked, but yeah, Ghislaine had a, had a very big influence on my life. Um, probably some school teachers, you know, encouraged me to write. I know in grade 10, we did a thing on Bliss Carmen and uh, his poetry really inspired me as well. Okay. Do you remember the first poem you ever read that wasn't your own? Uh, probably Bliss Carmen's. Okay. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, part of it was the bands of Arcturus are slackened and Orion goes forth from his place. The host of the hounds, or something, something leading homeward, the hounds from the chase. Okay. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Well, yeah, yeah but that I mean, you were I, able to recall that much is says something. <laughs> I have it somewhere that poem, and and also the um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's um, do not go, I think it's Dylan. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm-hmm. And that was another poem that spoke to me when I was fairly young. Okay. No, it's, uh, I, I like, uh, I like Mr. Thomas. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my first poem was grade five. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got hurtled down to the, uh, library where the librarian proceeded to read the cremation of Sam McGee with such vigor and vim <laughs> that it couldn't help, but I couldn't help but being encapsulated by it. Um, she presented it very well. <laughs> I love Robert Service. I have all, I have all his poetry. That's, uh, yeah. Um, one of my very, very first interview, um, when we, uh, we actually met in person during COVID and, uh, she actually brought me a book that she had, uh, gotten up in the Yukon and brought to me, uh, oh. knowing my, my, uh, my love of, uh, and influence from Mr. Service, Robert Service. Mm-hmm. Well, who introduced you to poetry and with what? So, uh, we kind of just covered that. So we can, you can either take another stab at that or we can just pass on. Um, yeah. Pretty much what we've been talking about, like school teachers, school, 
um i i've always been like addicted to books so i i read even when i was quite young i read books that were kind of well well, what the school librarian thought was over my head but (laughs) he was kind of a strange little man anyways but yeah just poetry kind of it just introduced itself to me really Hmm. it's it's something that i i can't not do (laughs) if that makes any sense i I can totally relate to that because it it just happens right it does all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna swip 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 swip. swip. <laughs> I'm just waking up, but I've been up for five hours. Okay. Uh, I'm going to switch question number two and change it up a bit and say, if you could take this opportunity right now to thank anybody for the direction that you've gone with your writing, who would it be? And now's your chance to do it. Wow. Okay. Um, probably. You know, all the, all the teachers in public school and high school who encouraged me again, that was a long time ago. And, and honestly, probably, although this sounds really odd, um, probably my horses, like they are, they have been my sanity and, and my friends and my guides. And, and as an introvert, I mean, I had friends, obviously I wasn't like the creepy guy with no friends. <laughs> they make TV shows based on people like that. Anyway. They, do yes and then you know they end up being serial killers which i'm not but but i yeah my teachers and you know my my horses and you know i've had a couple of friends that i've had for for many many years and uh, one of them's uh lynn murray anderson and we've been she writes poetry and we've you know switched poetry back and forth over the years and and so um lynn and my teachers and my horses basically okay that's fair enough when you write, do you stick to a certain topic, uh, love, nature, death, or do you just write whatever comes out? <laughs> Pretty much whatever comes out. Um, it, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you look at a book of my poetry, there's there's a little bit of everything. There's usually, um, I've studied a lot of um, Celtic myths and uh mythologies and sort of legends and sort of that esoteric aspect of things which which comes through in my poetry in a lot of cases yeah it's just very whatever comes to mind like there's one poem called 26 and it actually talks about standing in line waiting to get into um a shelter for the night and being the 26th in line and having the shelter be full when you get to the door Oh, I hated that. I mean, uh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, and, you know, that was just, we were driving through downtown Calgary one day and, and, you know, there's homeless people obviously everywhere. And I just, you know, it's minus a million out there. And you're like, what do you do if you're, you know, and and I, I'm bad for that with animals. Like, even if I have a full house and there's an animal that needs taking in, I'm always like, well, what if it was me that was the one on the outside of the door? And it's like, no, there's no room. And they always end up coming in. (laughs) <laughs> there's not enough people like you in the world oh actually there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good things right now but man the shelters are just bursting and it's just it's it's really easy to get burnt out from it that there, there are two words that you included in that statement right now but it took things like a pandemic to 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 bring that about but on a day-to-day basis prior to uh, a, a crisis, they're not as frequent or as, uh, 
as numerous as 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 needed i think anyway i lived on the streets for 13 years so mm. <clears throat> so i'm speaking from personal experience yeah who or what is your muse and i think you're going to say horses but i'll let you answer <laughs> I, actually i would say um just nature the universe the what exists all around us because that's what i that's where i draw from and that's where things are kind of um, gifted to me, if you like, by my muse. And my muse can be very um, <clears throat> demanding sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was writing my first novel, it's not poetry, but when I was writing my first novel, it would actually wake me up in the middle of the night. And it'd be like, you either get up and write this down or you're going to lose it. And so I would be at, you know, three, three in the morning. And at the time I, I had actually had a very um, catastrophic accident with a piece of farm equipment and so I was kind of going crazy because I'd gone from 150 miles an hour to zero in like 1.2 seconds Mm -hmm. and I was like stuck in bed for like 14 weeks on crutches and it was horrible and and so I I had started reading a bunch of poetry again and other things that I'd always wanted to study and never had time and so this book grew out of that but it would literally wake me up in the middle of the night with dialogue and narrative and and you probably know this yourself if you don't get up and write that down when you wake up in the morning it's gone and you can't recreate it exactly the way you can't recreate that magic that was there at you know three in the morning so I'm always when I do that I'm always unhappy with what comes out because it's not that magic moment you know and it's I know that sounds weird but no it it, well to somebody like me it makes perfect sense but (laughs) Uh, what's that say about me? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Cause, uh, the other day I just, I, you know, I'd gotten up too early and I went to have a nap before doing something that would have required a lot more energy than I had. And I'm laying there and all of a sudden, you know, th- this thing popped into my head and I'm trying to fight. No, I want a nap. I want a nap. But I knew <laughs> if I didn't write it down, it would be gone. Yep. And, uh, how many poems would you say you've written in your lifetime then? Oh my lord. <laughs> Hundreds. Oh come on. Don't be modest. Oh maybe thousands. There's a I just I yeah, I have like I did um April poem a day a few years. I haven't done it lately, but I should do it again this year. Because you at the end of April comes and you got like, you know, thirty new poems. And so I've done that a few years and I've I've just you just write. You just can't not do it so there's and there's some of them are short some of them are a little bit longer there, there's like a really short one I wrote when I was in um a spare in high school in grade 11 I think it was and it was like each year I cannot help but wonder at the miracle of spring that's it who said they had to be long yeah and it it's uh yeah no I was gonna say in in uh New Year's Eve 2014 like going into 2015 I made a New Year's resolution to try and write a poem a day for a year. And I, I'd done Ooh. it. I tried to do it the year before as well, but failed miserably and uh, frustrated with myself, whatever. But um after 13 mm-hmm. days, I failed again. But I went back and I looked at the poems that I had written in those 13 days. And I had more poems written than days that had elapsed. And then I went, well, wait a second. What was I really trying to attain? And I redefined the resolution to fit the goal that I was really after, which was to have 365 poems by the end of the year. 
And then on November right. 20, on November 21st, on November 21st, before I went down to the Dominican Republic, I had achieved 365 poems. Oh, congrats. Well, and that's what, uh, and then four years later, I published four books out of them, mm-hmm. which is my resolution series. But anyway, um, so yeah, they, they just come and sometimes, uh, they're from within, sometimes they're from without. And if you don't write them, they'll never be there. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> with that said, do you have another poem for us? I do. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. This one, um, this one actually is a, kind of a, a Celtic-y one. Um, the she, it's spelled S-I-D-H-E, is actually like the, the fairy realm in Ireland. Okay. And they live in fairy realms and stuff. So <clears throat> it's kind of, if you know, are you familiar with Thomas the Rhymer? Uh, no, he, but I will be after today. <laughs> he meets, a, he's a, a, he's a bard, I think. But anyways, he meets this lady on a white horse. And he follows her and follows her and tries to catch up with her. And eventually he, he stops and she comes back and, and says, you know, he says, why, why didn't you wait for me? And she said, well, why didn't you stop earlier? And then she takes him, she's a fairy queen and she takes him inside his wrath. And then he shows up, you know, much later. And that's kind of the, the Thomas the Rhymer is, is the story anyways. So this is called the land of the she. They say once you have been to the land of the she, you return either mad or a poet who spends the rest of their days pining for the shining lands to which they can't return. They say the food is exquisite, the women beautiful, the men handsome, there is no strife or want, and the horses are magnificent and swift. The returned wanderer longs, they say, for the heart friends they made in the shining lands, for the intangible something that is greater than anything this mortal world can offer. The poets tear their angst out in letters on paper, their heart bare for all to see. They die, sorrowing for the lost wonders, clinging to the magic that hides in the folds of their clothes. The mad ones speak of marvels and heroes who have no place in this world, holding in their fists ordinary pebbles and rocks, assuring you that they are diamonds and rubies. The mad ones withdraw into the shining lands, leaving the husk of their body in the mortal world too mundane to contemplate when the fair of fairyland is so sweet on the plate when they pry open the lifeless hands they find diamonds and rubies clutched in them inside the poet's notebook on the line page are written words that gleam with gold and shimmer with silver they say that you have been to the land of the she that if you have been been to the land of the she that you return either mad or a poet and that you die sorrowing for the shining realms to which you can't return. And that's that one. That reminds me of other things that I've written that uh, I love that world. I really do. And so when I hear things that go into that world, into that realm, uh, I just find myself drawn in. I forget myself. So, um, and that's why I, I kind of hesitated and, and uh didn't respond the way that I did but how did that inspire our uh, inspiration for that come <laughs> don't hate me no it's fine it was just um I wrote it when I was I, I studied for seven years under um a lady who's since passed away um uh, studying the um Celtic uh sort of like the red book of Lakin and the yellow book of um 
can't remember the other one, but there's a bunch of sort of the Irish myth um, cycles. Mm-hmm. And so we were studying those and, and a lot of it is involves, um, you know, stud, not just the cut and dried kind of dusty studying the stories, but looking behind the words and finding the magic and, and uh, finding what's there and then um, doing a bunch of meditation on sort of on what whatever is coming into your mind from these stories and things. And, and so that's what came out of there. And and it's kind of I don't know. If, if, it depends what people believe, but you know, if there's more worlds than just this world, then there's a world, you know, just on the other side of the veil that we could walk into and, and there's all kind of marvels there and different things. And it's just kind of nice to, to sort of entertain those ideas without, you know, getting locked up somewhere. Which, which is you, you hit it on the head. I mean, we, we can entertain those ideas. We can. Uh, present them in such a way from this side that people can either understand, believe, or whatever it is they choose to do. But without without that gift of being able to write a poem, song, sonnet, lyric, or whatever, uh, we can't really glimpse into those other worlds, can we? No. Yeah. no. And, and sometimes you feel like when I'm writing, I feel like I've got a foot in both worlds. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I have channeling is the wrong word because that has a bunch of weird connotations, but mm-hmm. um, it's more like it, it's just gifted. Sometimes the whole poem just comes and it's gifted. Absolutely. So have you ever just been given an entire poem at once or do you, does it come in bits and pieces, spurts, or how does that work for you? Um, it usually comes in one chunk. I took the dogs for a walk one day and came home with a poem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know that very well. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I take a walk to the grocery store. I I count my steps. I do a lot of counting being visually impaired. (laughs) So, um, and I've got so many that, you know, I've uh, 435 steps to the grocery store and I've comprised this big, long, you know, or walking around my house. It takes, you know, whatever amount is. And yeah, we, we, it's there. And yeah, there's, there's, it there's is. So, yeah, there's, it just, you know, I like to say that, you know, uh, the ether just, we grab whatever we can from the ether to make it ours. Yes. Otherwise, it, who's going to end up with it? We never know. It might, it might never get snatched. So. No. And, and I think they, sometimes it, I feel like it, the idea or the essence uh, wants to manifest and it does it through us. That's a good way to put it. I might have to use that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is the hardest part of writing a poem for you? Not editing it to death. Oh, really? I, yeah. In one of my books, I kind of had got some, you know, advice. Well, you know, you write a lot of free poems, and if you rework the, these couple ones and, um, you know, introduce some rhyming patterns and stuff, And so I did, but, you know, honestly, the way the the poems came out the first time is in my heart is truer and how it should be. And when I read the ones that I reworked, it, it jars me. And I mean, other people don't, because they've never seen the original, it doesn't, they're, they're like fine with it. But to me, it, it jars me. So editing, I have to, I have to. Sometimes have to stay true to what I know in my heart. And, you know, it's nice to have critics and it's nice to have um, feedback. 
<laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of laughing here. You're probably seeing me laughing and stuff. Yes. There's a reason for that because you touched on something that I believed for decades and, uh, until, until I lost my vision, mm-hmm. um, I never even contemplated editing a poem. And it was only after I lost my vision, I took a course through the Hadley School for the Blind and Visually mm-hmm. Impaired. And it was called Elements of Poetry. And my instructor, she says, take something that you've written a long time ago and edit it. And my first thought was, you edit poetry? Because I always believed that the way it came out was the way that it was intended to be, which is what you just said. Yeah. And I totally believe that because I, I have regretted reworking those poems ever since. And I don't do it anymore. Really? I mean, I mean like, you might clean up the uh, the spelling and stuff like yeah. that. but Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. It's not to say that I don't go over them and make sure everything, you know, looks the way it should and, and kind of flows the way it should. But I, I've just never been kind of a in-the-box girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a sonnet has to do this and this and this, and a setsina has to do this and this and this. Ah, look at you using words like that. Oh, I feel so. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, I do. I have, uh, I have files in my computer for sestinas. I have for sonnets. I have for various other forms of poetry. And then there's just what I write, you know, because uh, I like to try other styles but i always come back to me yeah me too me too um, and i've done the same thing i've kind of like oh you know um try this or try that and and yeah it works but it's not the magic isn't there so again with all the different styles and formats of of poetry have you ever tried to create your own style or format or um not really no I just kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, you see, you see poems that, okay, I wrote a poem called form or function. And basically it was one word, two words, three words, four words, made a triangle and then a reverse triangle. Right. So that's form. Oh, cool. Right. Um, Do you ever do things like that? I haven't. No, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting though to do stuff like that. Cause I, I know people who, who do kind of, how the words of like um uh Renee Sarajina does that where the the way the words are on the paper is actually part of the the function and and part of the the magic of the poem and yeah. she's very good at that actually I, I I haven't done that a whole bunch no I wrote a poem called Cross Purposes and it was you know in the in the form of a cross uh, I'm a man of faith anyway that's mm-hmm. why I did it but uh, everything was yeah. you know and it laid out, it looked like a, a cross. Uh, I like to play with things, play with words and, and forms mm-hmm. and functions. And I don't think, I don't think that poetry should be limited or set to uh, anything that can be taught. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that made sense now, but you know what I was trying to say, right? It's yeah, um, I do. I do. as, as we write it, that's the way it's meant to be basically. So, um, and there's a place for, the Sestina and, and, and those formats mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, but I think as the muse dictates, we need to listen. 
Yeah, I just sometimes poetry seems like like river or water, and it just kind of goes where it needs to go. It meanders, yeah. Yeah, and it, it you know often takes the path of least, least resistance, but sometimes it just kind of flings itself off the cliff too. So you said that you don't typically write longer poems, so like Beowulf and uh, you know the Rime of the Ancient Mariner or those yeah. kind of things. But uh, what's the longest that you've ever written? words or pages oh probably um the one that i read the land of the she or there's another one i wrote called henge um they're probably the longest i've written like i don't i'm not an epic poem writer (laughs) do you you think the epic is dead (sighs) that's a hard question you're welcome (laughs) i don't know personally anybody that's writing like epic you know the ideals of the king like Tennyson right uh, anymore but I don't think it's dead I mean it's they're still being read even you know centuries after they've been written and decades after they've been written some of them that they're still being read and they're still um obviously must be appealing to people I just don't know I don't personally know anybody that's writing that um are you awesome I I try to I actually, um, I documented my entire life in a, in a, in a poem and it's like 10 pages long. Wow. All rhyming. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's I in, bow to you. It, well, it's in, it's in book four. It's called, you know, my life. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's in book four of, uh, my resolution series. Wow. Again, it's, it's not your, your typical epic because there's usually a hero and, and, you oh. know, whatever but uh this was anyway that's neither yeah. here nor there uh is poetry dying or do you think there is still something or do you still think there's enough interest in poetry to keep writing it clearly you do but yeah i do um well a i couldn't stop writing it if i tried Yay. but <laughs> but uh, i don't think it is um I know last year we did uh When Words Collide online and there was, I think, three poetry workshops or sort of sessions. Mm-hmm. Um and they were well attended. Uh um, what is When Words Collide? It it's uh it started out being uh probably about twelve years ago, maybe eleven years ago. It started out as a sort of like a sci-fi writers readers festival and then it evolved and it became for fifty bucks a weekend. For the weekend in Calgary here, um, you could come and it was at the uh, Delta Hotel on uh, McLeod Trail in Anderson, I think, whatever that okay. one is. And they took over the whole place and there were just any kind of workshop you could think of in all the genres, um, fiction, nonfiction, poetry. And then, of course, COVID hit. And so it's been online for the last three years. And this year, it's in, it's always in August. And this year is actually going to be the last one. Oh no. Um, I, well, the same people have been, been running it forever. And I think they've just kind of burned out, which is understandable because it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. But, but they had a three year break. <laughs> actually, you know what? The Zoom, the Zoom online thing was way more stressful <laughs> because it took way more coordination and way more, you know, and then you've got all the technical crap mm. that people were having trouble with you know, video and sound and, um, and then we had trouble with some zoom bombers the one year, which was really, um, unpleasant (laughs) to say the least. Um, so, but yeah, it's when words collide is amazing. Um, 
it, they do have a YouTube site and a lot of the old, um, the older, uh, sessions are on their YouTube site. Under the title of When Words Collide. When Words Collide. So if anybody's interested, they can go there. Um, the poetry workshop should be there as well as, I mean, all kinds of them. They've had all kinds of, um, I think Terry Brooks was the, one of the keynote speakers last year. Like the author Terry Brooks? Yes. Like yes. I have all his books in audio. Yep. Yeah, Terry Brooks was there. Um, Diana Gabaldon has been there in different years. Um, Jack White was there in the early years. Jack White? Yes. Unfortunately, we lost Jack. Are we talking the, the same Jack White that lived in Victoria that came over from Scotland? Yes, Jack White that lived in Kelowna for the last years of his life. Yes. Really? So that was the Eagles Brood series? And... Yes. Yeah, all of those. He was an amazing I know what I like. He's, a, he's an amazing storyteller. If, if, did you ever get a chance to, to listen to him in person? No. Oh my God. He could raise the, the hairs on your arm. Really? He was talking one time about, um, sorry, we're digressing a bit here, but he was talking one time about, um, when he was doing his research for, um, the Brood of Eagles series, that whole Skyblade and Skystone and all those. Mm-hmm. And he said, when they used to make swords, the blade and the the handle thingy, whatever you call Hilt. it, you knew what it was called. Yep, um, was kind of lashed on, mm-hmm. and he said it came like a. He said it was like a bolt of light hit him, and he's like they made a, they made a, a a mold, and he goes when they took the sword out, it would be all one piece, so it was strong, and he goes X caliber, and I guess that means in Latin or something, whatever it meant, but it it was like. That was how the sword got its name, basically. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was just, I don't tell it, obviously, anywhere near the way Jack did it. But it, it literally raised the hairs on your arm when he when he told it. Like, he was just an amazing person. I thought that whole series was uh, an interesting perspective on the whole Merlin and Arthur yes. twist. Uh, just fantastic. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> Mary Stewart. Was it Mary Stewart? Yes. The Crystal Caves, right? Yeah, the Crystal There's- Caves. Yeah, I, I I grew up reading all that stuff. Yep, I did. I did too. And uh, actually, oh, twenty years ago, I I I came up. I, this was long before I even considered writing anything other than poetry because that's basically all I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, was writing a a, a book, uh, you know, because the legend says that Merlin has been entombed in a crystal yeah. cave. And he's just been woken up in this current century and, and he's in search of the, uh, the, the reincarnation of Arthur and stuff like that. Or yeah. anyway, I haven't, I've, I've yet to pursue that, but that's an idea that's been in my head for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and, and even when uh, Princess Diana died, they talked about that legend because she was buried on the island in the lake. Mm-hmm. And and there was some press somewhere it was spinning it as the the lady of the lake and oh my goodness are you serious the, yeah the whole deal and and William being the reincarnation of Arthur and <laughs> yeah I was like that's yeah. unfortunate <laughs> yeah I know I was like that's kind of stretching out of it <laughs> well you know they reach for heroes in anything don't they well I guess yeah but I I'm not quite sure what the British tabloids they're reaching for anymore well. Who who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So were were you done with that answer? Because we, um, did, we I, did digress. So I, you say poetry is not dying. The whole book. No, I don't think it's dying. I think there's a lot of people still writing it. Um, a lot of people reading it. You know, if you go go to 
an independent bookstore or you go to chapters, there's poetry books on the shelves, you know, I, and, and it was. I guess what I was after with that question was, so poetry has reached levels of popularity throughout the ages, right? So like you go to the Renaissance, poetry was probably at the height of its crowning glory. And then it, it dipped in popularity and it's resurged and it's done that whole roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Where on that roller coaster would you say it is today? Is it, is it at its lowest or is it resurging to that top? Uh, I think it's starting to resurge a bit. I mean, Calgary now has a, a poet laureate. Is that something you know, new? Canada, Canada, I think so. Canada has a poet laureate, um, but in Ottawa. Uh, I think it, it's still relevant. Okay. Um, I think the internet in some ways and, and the, the way the world's become smaller has helped in a way, but I think it's also hindered it in a way as well. Like it's kind of the internet and sort of that mass availability is a double-edged sword in some cases. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it, and it's, yeah, because I, with KDP and different things, like anybody can publish basically whatever they want. And some of it's not that well. And it's not that the writing doesn't have merit. It's that it hasn't been uh, prepared correctly. True. And so it it takes away from uh, what's actually there. Now you're talking about my books. I'm not kidding. Um, No. No, (laughs) because my my poetry books are self-published. My goodness. Have you ever been traditionally published or are you content with self-publishing? Yes. No, actually, I have been very lucky. Um, I had a poem, uh, it was actually Henge, was uh, accepted into uh, a book called Tamaracks, which yes. was... Um, I read that in your Tamaracks, bio. Canadian Poetry for the 20, 21st Century, um, edited by James Deal, who's in Sarnia. It was published by somebody in, in California. Hmm. Um, so I was very um, surprised, actually, to get included in that. I was like, woohoo. <laughs> and then I had... To, Poems. I had some poems in a um, a book that was um, Vistas of the West, which basically was um, a lot of cowboy poetry and uh, Western poetry. And I've been, my, actually, my very first poem was published in the Scarborough Mirror, in uh, which is kind of an outskirts of Toronto, when I was in like grade grade nine, I think. Okay. So I've been very lucky that way. Um, and I was, I was like really thrilled to be included in Tamaracks. And then also um, a bunch of my poetry is included. Um, the University of Holguin, I'm not sure if I said that right, in uh, Cuba, Cuba has, has a Canadian uh, literary literature uh, program and my poetry is included in it. Uh, Miguel Angel Olive Iglesias is the professor there. So I, I read that in your bio and I was going to ask you, uh, how, where do you find these opportunities that were they just dropped in your lap or? That one was actually, um, courtesy of James Deal from okay. Tamaracks. Um, he, he and, uh, Miguel are, are colleagues and, uh, he, he basically said, Hey, Tamaraxers, um, He's looking for Canadian poetry, you know, go ahead, send him whatever you, you know, you feel is he would like or, or that you would like him to read. And 
Uh, so I did. I, I mailed him and it took like three months together. <laughs> I mailed him my two books and we, we, um, correspond via email now, thank God, because it doesn't <laughs> take three, three months to get him anything. But, uh, yeah, um, that, that literally, uh, was courtesy of, of Tamarax and James. <laughs> Excuse me. So. That's, uh, yeah, no, I, I read that and I went, mmm, we need to hear about this. Cause I, I don't think there's, um, I do not think that there is a whole lot of opportunities. You've got your standard magazines and journals and stuff like that that are accepting, but opportunities like that don't come every day. And there's got to be no, a better way. Sharing. We all, we have to share with each other. Absolutely. And that's why I, one of the reasons why I created uh, my group, uh, creative Canadian creative writers. What yeah. kind of a, what kind of a guy am I? I forgot my own group name. Uh, <laughs> it, like, it's been one of those days. So I'm going to turn this into a two part question. So who do you write for? Uh, and the other one is what do you write for? I would have to say, you know, honestly, I write for me. Okay. I don't write for anybody else. I write for me because I have to, because the poems are, are basically gifted to me. Like I don't, I can't sit down and decide, okay, I'm going to write a poem about whatever is inspiring me at the moment. But for a lot of cases, it just, they kind of show up and I have to sit down and write them. What was the other part? What do I write for? Yeah. What? Like, do you write for fame? Do you write for fortune? Do you write for? No, I, I just write because I have to, because I can't not. Um, I don't, I'm basically an introvert. So I'm really, when I get up in front of, you know, a group of people to talk or, or, um, I used to teach writing lessons and I had like 70 or 80 students over the course of a, a week. And it was like, it was a different me that got up there in front of them. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the me that writes poetry that kind of hides somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely, it's not for fame and I don't know about money because that hasn't come my way. So <laughs> it's, it's not for that. I think it's just, it's for the process. It's for, for, uh, for want of a better way of expressing it, it's for wanting, it's for birthing the poem and sending it out into the world. Because once I've written it, it's kind of no longer mine. Mm-hmm. It's everybody who reads it and everybody who reads it probably gets something different out of it because they come from a different space than what I do. So would you say like poetry is like artwork? It means something different to everybody? I think so. I think, I think it does. Like I, I think people pull different things out of it um the same as when you're writing a, a book or a novel i remember Gawain jelaine saying to me one time that um, you didn't meet the poet or the author in her living room you met her through her books mm. through her, her written word and i think that's very true we it's, we expose inner parts of ourselves when we create our characters or we create our poetry that we wouldn't normally express in everyday life like if, in a conversation one of the questions I often ask as well is how much of yourself is in everything you write? Is it just a little or is there more than a little? Do people, can people clearly see you in what you write or uh, do they have to, you know, um, pardon the expression, but read between the lines, not to throw the name of the podcast out there, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Um, honestly, whatever I write, I write from the heart. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm in whatever I write, whether it's, I mean, poetry is, is sort of a, 
uh, encapsulated more in in a book you're sort of spreading yourself out more because you're creating a, a cast of characters in a poem it's just whatever is there yeah and yeah it's 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 us it's me it's there so there's an expression that most writers are very familiar with is write what you know have you been able to write a poem that's got nothing to do with anything that you know do you know mm-hmm. what i mean because like I've written poetry and I've shared it with people and their immediate response was, you poor thing. And it's got nothing to do with me or anything that I've experienced. Um, Probably 26, that poem 26 I was talking about earlier would be the closest to that. Yeah. Because yeah, I've, I've never been homeless. Thank you. Thank God. But I, Again, getting a little bit into the esoteric stuff, I am an empath. Like I, I, I can feel other people's emotions sometimes or other people's sort of turmoil. And, and so I, I can relate to it in a way with, a, but not obviously not in the same way as if I had experienced it. Exactly. I know. I understand what you're saying. <clears throat> um, uh, there's two expressions that I have. I, I believe they're my own that <laughs> I, I, I truly believe and, the first one is in most of my books, and it's basically, it goes like this. I do not necessarily write because I have something to say, but rather there may, because there may be something you need to hear. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, is I do not write for profit. I profit from writing. It's very true. Right? I, I'm not in it for the money. Uh, but when I write, the, the, the experience for me, um, I think uh, broadens my horizons and, and therefore I profit from it. Yeah. All profit doesn't have to be measured in dollars and cents. Well, the world will tell you differently. Well, yes, I know it will, but especially when I'm trying to pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonderful. So, you know, every interview that I've done, there's been, you know, seven questions as a rule because it generates so many other questions after that. But there is a, well, and now for the mysterious, unannounced eighth question. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for it? Sure. You can have a choice. You can either have a serious one or a fun question. Oh, I don't know. Let's go serious. Let's go serious. Okay. Uh, I got to find it here. (laughs) How do you think the Canadian literature or how do you think the Canadian literary community uh, supports and promotes poets? Hmm. There is the League of Canadian Poets, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, does what they can do within their, their parameters. I don't know that as far as like grants and stuff, there's a lot of government funding for poetry. It's, it seems to be more focused on, um, you know, literary fiction than, than poetry. I think, d- does the CBC have a poetry? They do have a poetry. Yes. So that's part of it. But I, I don't think there's a great deal kind of focused on poetry. I think it's more, more, um, like literary fiction novels that they, they focus on or, or magazines from, from what, from what I've been able to find anyways. Right. But I mean, like you've got your Alberta's writing, writers guild, you've got, yes. uh, and they, they've all got their own. Do you think that they're, they're involved with the, um, aspect of poetry on equal terms with literary fiction? Um, no, 
I don't think so. I I think, and maybe because there's not as many poets or there's not as many of us sticking our head up out of the little mole holes. I don't know. Well, I think as a result of the, um, the pandemic, there were more people writing poetry than ever before. That's probably true because they were kind of trapped in their houses <laughs> and they needed a, a, an escape. An outlet. Yeah. 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 It's probably true. And maybe that will, you know, because really the pandemic just kind of ground to a slithering halt there not that long ago. And maybe that will translate in, you know, 2023, 2024, 2025 in a, in a bigger uptick in, in, uh, the, as, as poets though, I mean, how, how do we encourage or push these, um, you know, guilds or fellowships or, or whatever societies, how do we push them to put us on equal terms or can we? Yeah, that's, yeah. Or should we? Well, it would be nice. Wouldn't it? But I, I don't, do you know of any sort of, like, I know lots of writing groups, but most of them are focusing on writing, not poetry. Mm Mm-hmm. I think if there was enough um, sort of grassroots groups of poets that got together and sort of lobbied, you know, either the federal government or the, or your provincial governments to support poetry in, in a larger way, I wouldn't say a better way, but a larger way mm-hmm. that that might be the route to take, but it would, it would take somebody, you know, somebody organizing those grassroots groups together to form a unified voice because if we all just kind of you know this group did their little whatever and this group did their little presentation i think one unified sort of spear mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. work better than than a million little darts so you you brought up like the cbc writing contest and they do have a, a poetry contest and they have a a, a non-fiction and they have a fiction contest mm-hmm. and I, I don't mean to pick on cbc and that's, that's the only example that i have off the top of my head yeah me too and I'm probably going to, you know, if, if anybody from CBC actually listens to this, I'll probably get in trouble. But I've noticed that the majority of the, the winners from these particular contests are marginalized people or, or you know, immigrants or, and I, I don't think that's fair to the rest of the poets. No, it's there, not. And the writers. That has been a, a trend in the last few years for sure yes and and you know i'm gonna get myself in trouble here too so we'll be in the same vat of hot water <laughs> i have seen um poetry contests and and writing contests as well that are only for um bipoc or indigenous people mm-hmm. now if i went online and posted a poetry contest that was only open to white people I would be frigging crucified. Yep. And yet it's okay for the reverse of that. And mm-hmm. I do have an issue with that. And mm-hmm. um, yes, I op- just opened myself up to get flamed all over the world. But it's truth is truth. And yeah. if, if you have any complaints or anything, send them directly to my podcast and I will deal with you. Inclusiveness is inclusiveness it's not selective exclusiveness Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening 
Yep. It is what's happening. And, and those of us who are now becoming the marginalized, if you want to use that term, can't open our mouths without being accused of horrible, horrible moral things. Or labeled, yes. Yes. And so I tend to, you know, not express my views on that, but apparently I've decided to break my silence. Well, good for you. And no better place than here because I don't think a lot of people listen to us. I'm kidding. Um, but you know, um, so the, the, the whole premise of my show is focused on Canadian content only. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I, I thought for sure that was going to get me into some hot water, but you know what? Uh, especially because I want to deal with lesser known Canadian mm-hmm. because I believe that, you know, uh, the big five are pushing a, an agenda with who we should be reading. Read this. This is the best out there. And I've read it and I'm going, no, it's not. I've read people in my, my own writing group that are far better than that. I know. Well, I, I, you know, I, you always want as a poet, I think, you know, on your CV, oh, if you want to be recognized by kind of that CBC sort of group, you know, I was published by the Malahat or I was published by the Fiddlehead. And honest to God, I have read the stuff that gets published in those, and I don't want to write that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to write that because it's all angst and and dark. There's a place for natural angst. There is, but that's all that, that I seem to see in those publications. Well, or, a lot of it is contrived angst too, though. Well, yes, and I and mind you, I haven't looked at them recently, so that my opinion is based on you know three or four years ago. Yeah. But I just, I don't want to write that. And if that's what I have to write to get published there, I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, and I, that's why, that's why I created this podcast. That's why I created my writing group. Um, cause I mean, I was in, in, in on the Facebook Canada Writes and right. in there I was censored so much. Um, you know, they, I would say something and, and this is a writing group. Let's talk about writing. Let's not talk about, you know, apartment housing in Toronto that's lacking. That's got yeah. nothing to do with writing. And, um, you know, and then I, I got shut out. So uh, I created my own group. I've got like almost 1500 members and, and all we do is talk about writing and share writing, 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 writing. That's all. Yeah, it's and, and that's what it's supposed to be about. You're in my group. Are you not? Yes. Yes. I, I actually checked this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interview I had yesterday, she wasn't in the group. So I sent her an invitation. Come on. Um, I'm going to ask you the fun question anyway, because it's just okay. fun. Okay. If I arrived on your, on, at your residence in a, in my time machine and I said, Hey, Nancy, get in. We're going, when and where are we going and why? Oh, let me think. <laughs> um, especially if it has something to do with inspiration for your writing. Okay. So we are going to Cornwall, Ontario. England. No, England. England, okay. You're going to Cornwall, England. Way back when they were building those stone circles and monuments, because I want to know what their actual function was, because I have my ideas. And how they did it. And how they did it. That's where we would go. Because then, I, if I knew that, then I would figure out how Avebury became, and Silbury Hill, and uh, Stonehenge. Okay, I, I can, I, I'll take you there. Okay. <laughs> that is, uh, that's really good. I've had, uh, many different answers to that. Uh, one of the ladies said, uh, I'd go to that concert in 1969 somewhere, uh, upstate New York and oh yeah, Woodstock. That I never Woodstock. thought of that. 
Uh, yeah, there's been some interesting answers to that. What advice would you, what advice would you give someone who says that they can't write a poem to save their life? I would say everybody can write poetry. Everybody can write poetry. We are, uh, we are magic. We are, as human beings, we are, we have the ability to, to create. And everybody has it. And whether you've buried it deep inside or whatever, it's there. And all you have to do is just start writing. Put words on paper. It doesn't matter what it says. Put words on paper and keep writing and eventually it makes sense. Here's the easiest way that I found that people who say they can't write a poem can write a poem. How many people do you know who sing songs and make up their words as they go? Yep. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, an interesting website. It's called uh, kissthisguy.com. Okay. And it's misheard lyrics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's quite the uh, quite the website. And, yeah. Uh, but people make up their own lyrics all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, because that's what they think it is or, or they change them because they're singing it to their kids or whatever. But yes. they make them up. And so, yes, they can write poetry. Yeah, everybody can write poetry. You just, you just have to believe in yourself and open your, open your mind and put. Well, Mr. Hollingsworth, my grade nine teacher, uh, at Woodruff High School in Ottawa, mm-hmm. uh, we, we came to that section of, uh, the curriculum where we're, de- we're dealing with poetry and he announced it to the class and we all went, uh, you know, <laughs> writing poetry, not reading. And he says, your assignment is to write a poem for, for, for next week. And, uh, you know, much to the chagrin of everybody, blah, blah, blah. I went home and I wrote three poems, like bang, bang, bang. And, and I didn't know which one to hand in. So I handed in all three. Yeah. And, uh, Monday morning he, uh, graded, you know, he had the papers and he called me back after class. He says, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. He says, <laughs> did you really write these? And I went, well, yeah. He says, well, they're actually kind of good. And, um, they remind me of, and he named a, a musician. He says, they remind me of this person's early, early stuff. Oh, cool. And I went, oh, that's, that's cool. And he says, I'm encouraging you to continue writing and maybe one day get published. Now that took 33 years for that to happen because life and everything else mm-hmm. got in the way, but I continued to write throughout the whole thing. So anyway, we can, everybody I think can write, has it in them to write a poem. Yep, they do. All right, we're going to go into the uh, part two of this, and which I call shameless plugging. <laughs> uh, I think this is the real reason why I'm doing this for everybody is because, you know what, if people don't know where to find you or what you have, you're never going to be out there for anybody. So question number one, um, what books of poetry or otherwise do you currently have on the market and where can people find them? I have Through This Door and Touchstone are available on Amazon. Um, I write under Nancy M. Bell only because there's another author with my name. I saw that. Because it's pretty common. Um, so I stick my middle initial in there so that hopefully people can find me better. Um, I also am published by BWL Publishing, which is an Alberta publisher. Um, I have, and again, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, uh, all your normal places. Oh, 
Um, you can also go to the website, which is bwlpublishing.ca. And uh, down the side will be all the authors listed. If you click on mine, it takes you to my page where all my books are listed. And there are buy links attached to each cover. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I have, uh, I think, over 20 novels published right now, um, genre fiction. Uh, some a little bit of historical romance, some contemporary romance, some YA books that deal with uh, fantasy. Uh, Laurel's Quest is a fantasy um, set in Cornwall, <laughs> uh, following Earth energy lines and, and different things and full of mythology and different things along with the story. So there, there's, yeah, if you just go either any of those places, you will find me. Okay, fair enough. Good. And so your most current poetry book is Touchstone? Yes. Excellent. Um, are you currently working on anything? And if so, how close is it to completion? I uh, am working on putting another book of poetry together, but I, it's life has gotten in the way recently, um, just because of other commitments. Um, I was commissioned to write the Canadian historical mystery set in Manitoba by the publisher. So I've been um, kind of working on that uh, at the moment, set during um, sort of the time period of the Real Re- uh, Rebellion. Okay. So that's supposed to be coming out in September of 2024, I believe. Um, so hopefully my poetry book gets out before that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a name for the poetry book yet, but I, it's, I have to come up with something yet. But How do you select your poetry book names? It depends. Um, Touchstone is actually uh, the title of a poem I wrote for my first horse. And through, through this door is actually, um, actually a title of the poem and it's, it's sort of, uh, life's journey almost. It's really short, but it's basically, um, you know, you walk through this door alone when you're born and when you leave this life, you also walk through that door alone. And that's where that, that through this door came from. Okay. But there's many doors in between that lets people in and out as well. There are. Exactly. So it's, um, that's what those two just basically came from the poem that sort of inspired me to put the book together. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, are titles easy for you to come by? Usually. For poetry or books? Usually, but not always. Um, poetry is a little bit easier maybe because there aren't so many books. Like if you trying to find a, a title for a novel, you have to kind of go to Amazon and different places and, type in the title that you're thinking of, because if there's a million other t- books with that title, then you got to rethink it. Yeah. Because nobody's ever going to find you. <laughs> uh, what's that called? Keyword searches or whatever? Yeah. I just type the title in the search bar and <laughs> see what and comes And go from out. there. Yeah. <laughs> there's a science to that apparently, but I don't have the time and I, I've never been one for science. No, there is. Yeah. There's all those algorithm things and uh, yeah. You know what? Uh, I've got no rhythm of any kind. <laughs> Whether it's Algo or not. <laughs> um, if you had to choose one of your poems or books as a favorite, which one would it be and why? Um, if I had to choose a book, it would be Laurel's Quest, only because that's the very first novel I ever got published. And I okay. wrote it when I was recovering from my catastrophic accident. Um, for poetry, I... I actually like the poems in Through This Door better, but I would probably say Touchstone only because it's it's dedicated to my first horse. And it's the newer one. 
It is the newer one, yes. I think I heard a quote. I'm not sure who it's by, but they were asked, uh, what's your favorite book that you've written? And they say, anything that I've recently released. (laughs) 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 And that's fair enough for me. (laughs) Where can people connect with you? Uh, Facebook, uh, email, snail mail, TikTok, Instagram. And I don't know any of the newer ones, so I'm not even going to go there. Yes, old dog new tricks here. Um, I'm on Facebook as author Nancy M. Bell. Uh, you can find me on the BWL Publishing website. Um, Which I, is? Uh, BWLpublishing.ca. Okay. Uh, I don't have TikTok. I don't have Instagram. Sorry, guys. Um, Snapchat, none of those. Um, my email is actually my horse's name and her daddy's name, so it's spelled really weird. It's Emily. And then P-I-K-K-A-S-S-O at gmail.com. Okay. And I, yeah, I'm in my email every day. So I usually, if I get hear, hear from anybody, I always answer them because I'm, you know, just happy that somebody thought enough to reach out and say, hey. Exactly. There will be uh, transcripts available of this show. And if if you do want a transcript, just email the show at randy.btl podcast at gmail.com and we'd be more than happy to get a transcript out to you i noticed that you do not have an author page on amazon i should have i i nope i do i'm on author central are you because when i went to excuse me when i went to amazon this morning before coming uh to talk to you uh it did not uh give me the option of going to your author page bad amazon I will have to look at that because I do have an author page on Author Central. Okay, so do I. But I just thought I'd bring that up to you. Yeah, I will go go harass Amazon after. <laughs> What's going on? I do have an author page. Okay, well, well, good. So if you're on Amazon, look her up on her author page because I uh, I I actually went into you know typed your name out and then I saw a list of books, but not on an author page. Oh, isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, can you share one final poem with us? Sure. Um, just let me find it here. It's right there. Somewhere, yes. <laughs> I even put a marker in there. I still can't find it. Um, actually, I'll share Hinge because, you know, that was the one that got in Tamarack, so I'm pretty proud of this one. Okay. It's called Hinge. They raised the stones with music and starfire, orchestrated in the bright moonlight of the longest day. Hundreds of ranks of trained bards and mages in their own right, ranged around the plain, one rank for each set of uprights and lintel. One master to lead and direct their shimmering energies. One master to control the power that sets the lintel gently atop the uprights. The power of their music hangs brilliant in the moonlight air, shimmering and coalescing over the plain. The granite stones pulse warmly and glow as they move and dance into place. It is done. The master turns and bows to welcome the sun this morning of the longest day. The ranks of bards bow and raise shining eyes as the sun bathes them in the first flush of dawn light. The master smiles. The stones settle into their beds and the sun's rays shine true, locking the stones in place. The song rises with the sun, blooming from the bards, from the granite stone itself. The God and Goddess dance across the lintel stones. And that was um, inspired because I, I 
oh, read somewhere in some research somewhere that um, there was a theory that they had raised the the stones for Stonehenge and moved them with uh, the power of um, musical vibrations. I've read that too. And it, it also leads into that um, they used to have the, um, oh, I can't remember the name of them, the choirs that were set at certain places around Britain mm-hmm. that, and each, uh, each choir would intone a single tone note. And then at the um, portals of the year, they would all come together and intone them all together. And that was, it was part of the golden age theory. Yep. Um, where they would empower the, the energy lines of, of Britain. Otherwise known as ley lines. Um, ley lines and earth energy lines. Yeah. Telluric energy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that was kind of where that poem came from. Excellent. But you didn't explain in your poem, or maybe you don't have an, an answer to offer, but <clears throat> is how these stones stay there. Cause the sun still comes up and the, the power is still there and. Mm-hmm. No, they're just bedded there. That's where they live. So what will what will remove them or what will knock them over? I guess time and people, right? Well, mostly people. Mostly people. <laughs> that's what happened. At, that's what happened at Avebury because they they broke a bunch of the stones in the 18th and early 19th century and used them to build buildings. Yeah, well, that was a thing, though. Yep, and and that's what happened to uh, Glast- parts of Glastonbury Abbey as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, there are pieces of it in buildings around around Glastonbury. Not surprising, I guess. Use what you can, where you can, right? Well, and it fell into disrepair. You know, there's not much of it left, really. I would love to, you know, you know what? I'm going to go and get a piece of the Blarney Stone then. There you go. There you Skip go. Get the piece off while you're kissing it. Uh, you know what? I'm not being hung upside down to kiss nothing. No, me neither. <laughs> I'd be good all good. In, in closing... Um, already, can you believe that? No. Uh, in closing, what would you tell anyone who might be too afraid to take the chance on being published, either traditionally or self-published? Or, or self-published. Um, really, what, other than, you know, dealing with rejection, what, what, what is there to be afraid of really? Like if we believe in what the words we put on the paper and we believe that they are, you know, legitimate and that, you know, we haven't stolen them from someone else and that, that they have merit, then why not share it with the world? And maybe what, what you have to say or or what you've put on paper isn't uh, profound to you. Maybe it's just, you know, something that came to you and you slapped it down and, and, you know, kind of molded it a bit and sent it out but maybe it's what somebody somewhere needs to hear and this is just the universe acting through you to get that message out to whoever needs to hear it which kind of goes to what i said earlier is i don't necessarily write because i have something to say but rather because you may have something you need to hear yes exactly and and you know rejection is just rejection it's just one person's opinion at the time they happen to look at your submission so they might have 20 emails Mm. and or they might have you know no i don't think very many people actually have a physical slush pile anymore (laughs) but most of it is digital slush pile now yeah 
you know, maybe they're having a bad day and your poem just didn't hit them, or maybe your topic just isn't something that appeals to them, but it doesn't mean that the next person who you send it to isn't going to go, oh my God, I love this. Or, or perhaps what you've written has hit them in such a profound way that it bothered them. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's there's that too. Um, but what you say is absolutely, absolutely correct. And, um, if you, if you don't put it out there, then you might not be helping that one person who needs it. Yeah. And, and I think poetry, well, words that are gifted to us from wherever, you know, Mm -hmm. we create them in our little heads and they come from somewhere. Um, it's a gift and we should be sharing that gift with whoever, whoever wants to, to partake of it, basically. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. 100 and I'm going to sound like an athlete here. 110%. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy, this has been fun and enlightening. Um, and I really appreciate the, that you took the time out of your morning. Uh, it's morning for us because we're down the road from each other. Um, but thank you for, for agreeing to do this. Thank you for coming up and coming on and doing this. And, um, I, I really, uh, I appreciate it, and I hope that the, the listening off the listening audience were able to uh, get something out of this, um, or at least discover you. Well, thank you for having me on. It was great. It was lots of fun, and it's always fun to talk poetry and writing, and um, and wherever that leads us, because often it kind of takes these little side roads that are really interesting and and enlightening. One last question collaboration have you ever collaborated with anybody on a poem or a poem not a book but a poem i have tried okay and how did that work uh well it's still a work in progress sort of <laughs> uh, i wrote a poem about avery at uh beltane may, may 1st may day and uh, my girlfriend who is a, a super accomplished pianist was going to set it to music okay and we went back and forth and she kept wanting me to change things. And so I changed this thing and then she'd say, no, now you change the whatever, whatever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I only do what I thought you wanted me to do. So it's still, it's a work in progress. It, it, I write words. I don't write song or words for music. No. And, and music is, is very <clears throat> mathematical, which is really interesting. It's a different um, beast altogether. Yeah. Like, like she can actually compose music through, through math, which I find really, um, astounding because it's all you know timing and fourths and eighths and i don't know what all else because i'm 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 a really bad guitarist and that's as far as my my (laughs) musicianship goes but yeah that was that was our collaboration it was called the singing stones it was called but they they have not been sung yet (laughs) oh (laughs) they're waiting eh (laughs) they are still waiting yes uh nancy thank you so much and uh have a good rest of your day oh thank you so much Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Between the Lines. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and were inspired to either start writing or to keep on writing. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes or guests, you can reach out to us by sending an email to randy.btlpodcast at gmail.com use comment or suggestion in the subject line. For a copy of the transcript of this or any other episode, 
just send us an email using transcript as the subject line and indicate which season and episode you would like a transcript for. Visit my website, therandylacy.ca, where you can purchase one of my books, read my blog, and yes, even hear every episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed what you've heard and would like to hear more, click the Buy Me a Coffee button at the top right corner of the page to help cover the costs associated with keeping this show available to you. If you're ever feeling overwhelmed by the many lines in your life, take a deep breath and remember the wise words of Winnie the Pooh. Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Until next time, keep on keeping between the lines.